Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Don't miss the last Pub Talk Live this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll have three literary agents answering all of your questions about publishing contracts. Find the link in the show notes. You feel like someone else has control of your dream and they just squash it over and over again. And you're constantly being told you're not good enough. This thing you wrote and you put your heart and soul into is not good enough. And you don't know if it's ever going to be good enough. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. Today, we'll be talking to Annie Sullivan. Annie is the author of three young adult fantasy novels, A Touch of Gold, A Curse of Gold, and Tiger Queen. She lives in Indiana, but loves to travel the world. She has a passion for all things fairy tales and Jane Austen and loves interacting with fans. So please welcome Annie to the show. Hello. Hi, it's so exciting to be here. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on. My dog is definitely in this recording. (laughs) It just keeps coming back and forth, back and forth. You make it special. (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk about your publication journey today, and we're going to start at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from then before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Yeah, I think even as a little kid, I was always kind of interested in writing. Um, It was something that I did for fun with my friends. We would write little stories together, pass them around, finish each other's stories, that kind of stuff. But it really wasn't until college when my parents were kind of like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I don't like math and science very much. So I guess I'll be an English major. And, you know, I started taking some creative writing classes at Indiana University. And I really just fell in love with writing and bringing characters and stories to life. And from there, it just kind of blossomed. I ended up going to Butler University and got a master's degree in creative writing. And from there, it just took a hold of me. And I was like, all right, I wrote a book as, you know, my part of my master's thesis. And from there, I guess you could say the rest is history. Well, history that we'll get to, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me a little bit more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be a published author, that you, you know, wanted to see your book on bookshelves? Yeah, I think, you know, I really decided, you know, the moment I was like, okay, I wrote a book. I want this out there. I, I want to tell stories. I want to tell fairy tales um, with kind of a new twist. I want to have strong, you know, female heroines who have agency, who have plots, who have lives, and they don't, you know, necessarily depend on men. Maybe there are men in the story, maybe there aren't, but I just really wanted to bring fairy tales into the world in a new way. And so I think it kind of clicked the moment that I started writing the novel while at Butler. And then when I finally finished it and I was like, all right, this is it. I've done it. Like, and I feel like you never even know if you can write a novel until you've done it. And then once you do it, you're like, okay, I'm going to try and do my best to get it out there into the world because I just, I loved the story so much. I loved the characters. And like you said, we talk about the spark and I think the spark of the idea, it just really came alive in me and I couldn't keep it to myself, you know, couldn't hide that talent. (laughs) 
So how did you learn more about the publishing industry specifically? You know, how it works, how to go about getting a book published, how to write a query letter, everything like that. Yeah, it was definitely a very long, lonely journey. (laughs) I went through a lot of it by myself. I didn't have any sort of mentor to walk me through it. Um, I had people, you know, who helped me write the book and all that stuff. And that was great. But then when it came to publishing, I was just on my own. I think that was really hard. And so honestly, it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of looking up things on the internet, you know, going to literary conferences back when we were allowed to go to those before COVID, you know, was really big. They all helped my journey. You know, there are sites like Literary Rambles where I would look up literary agents or I would go to Janet Reed's Query Shark blog and see how to write a query letter. I mean, first, you just even have to figure out what a query letter is and who to send it to. And like I said, I definitely made some mistakes when I was sending out those query letters. You know, sometimes they would ask for the first chapter and, you know, a one page synopsis and something else. And I was like, oh, well, the synopsis pretty much is in my query letter. So that's fine. And guys, it's not fine. Oh, no. It is not <laughs> fine. Okay. Like if they ask for a one page synopsis or even a paragraph synopsis, they want a separate synopsis. So I definitely didn't even hear back from some agents because I didn't follow their submission guidelines, which is so important. So yeah, I think it was definitely just a lot of like looking at what resources are out there, researching agents, following them on Twitter, seeing who repped what and just finding my way through the dark in a lot of ways to try to, you know, claw my way towards this dream. And I think that's a lot of what you have to do is really want it so deeply that even when you're lost in the darkness, you're still looking for that way out and you don't give up. So then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from, you know, graduating your MFA to signing your first book contract? So I, like I said, I finished, um, actually it was A Touch of Gold. That was the book that I wrote um, as my master's thesis. And I was like, yes, I've got this amazing book. I'm just going to go out there and get an agent. Like, how hard can it be? (laughs) So (laughs) I treated it like a job. I mean, even though I had a job at the time, I treated it like a job. And I created an entire, like, spreadsheet. It was color-coded with more columns than I cared to count or list, but everything of like what agent I sent to, who else they repped, and like what they asked for, the date I sent it to them, like all this stuff. I tracked everything. And I am not going to say again that I (laughs) did it quite the right way. I um, probably queried over a hundred agents with a touch of gold and I got maybe, maybe two requests, which uh, for more material, which is not not very good yeah. odds. Again, I said I was wow. not great with math and science, but uh, <laughs> you guys could see that that's not the best. And my kind of strategy going into it was like, oh, if one person rejects me, I'll just send it to another, which again, maybe not the best approach. And so actually in the end, no one took a touch of gold and I was a little heartbroken. And But in the meantime, and always a piece of good, of good advice is kind of, you know, while you're on submission or while you're, you know, querying, always write your next book if you can. Um, and so I had written another book in that time. And so I started querying that book. And that's kind of the point when I got on Twitter and I started going to conferences a little bit more. I ended up going to a conference that kind of helped me relook at my work, connected me with a couple of agents who were there. And that's when I really started getting interested in Twitter because there is a lot of stuff that happens on Twitter, different pitching contests, things like that. Yeah, that's where I actually ended up finding my agent. She had a little Twitter contest um, and I entered my new book, which I'm like, yay, she likes it. Um, I didn't end up winning her contest because that was just like a random winner, but she read my entry and she liked it. And so she offered to represent me and I was like, yes, this is amazing. So she picked up that book and we worked on it together. And she went on submission and it didn't sell. (laughs) 
So I was back to square one with still no book published, you know, four years into this um, at this point. And she, my agent came to me and she said, what else do you have? And I was like, well, funny story. I have a touch of gold. I actually queried you with it like a year and a half ago and you rejected it. But if you would like to take a second look now, we could do that. And so she actually did. She took a second look. We completely just tore it apart, revised it. We took it from like first or we took it from third person past tense to first person present tense, changed characters. Wow. Everything was was a big overhaul. And we went out on sub and it finally got a deal. So you just never know which book is going to hit at the right time with the right person. I love this story when I read your kind of synopsis that you sent me ahead of time, because we hear these two pieces of advice that seem to be conflicting. One is work on something new Mm -hmm. and two is never give up on a book that you believe in. Right. Yep. Which you, your story demonstrates why both of those are good advice because you couldn't have gotten an agent with a touch of gold, exactly. but you got an agent with a second book, Mm -hmm. but then you were able to go back to a touch of gold. And because you still believed in that book and make it work, right? Yeah. And I still believe in that second book that my agent was not able to sell the first time. And I'm still hoping to eventually go back and revise that and and sell that. Because again, the market's always changing. I'm getting better as a writer, as an author. And I think that's what happens. The more you write, you know, the better and the better hopefully your work becomes. So you do kind of enter a, a phase or a state where you're like, okay, this could be good enough now to submit again. How long was your second book out on submission with editors? Yes. So the book that didn't sell was probably on for about a year. And then I would say A Touch of Gold was probably on the market for another good nine months at least, if not more, before it sold. So again, it was not a short journey by any means. I think, you know, from the time I graduated with the finished book from Butler in 2012, it was published in 2017. So... Five years, five years passed between when I quote unquote finished it and when it was officially released as a book. Can you read your successful query letter for us? So it would begin, dear agent, the only thing worse than being turned into a golden statue by your own father, King Midas, is being turned back into a living, breathing, cursed human being. That is exactly what happened to Cora. Now, 10 years after the incident, Cora must confront not only her past, but also her future as she embarks on a quest to retrieve gold stolen from her father. Set in the fictional realm of Longonia, King Midas' daughter, The Hunt for Midas' Gold, which was my old title, guys, is a young adult novel that follows 17-year-old Cora, Midas' daughter, who is struggling to return to a normal life after spending a week as a golden statue when she was younger. As if dealing with the emotional effects of her transformation, including the strained relationship with her father, weren't enough, she deals with bizarre side effects left over from her time spent as a golden statue like having golden skin and an ability to locate the other objects her father turned to gold. When those golden objects are stolen, Cora is the only one who can search for them, and she must retrieve them quickly because King Midas is fading away without the gold objects by his side. Cora's journey takes her to an island full of cutthroat pirates called the Island of Lost Souls and to a watery treasure trove guarded by siren-like creatures before culminating in a high seas battle with a thief, a pirate with skulls tattooed on his eyes named Captain Skulls. Along the way, Cora meets two men, the dashing Count Westbrook and the mysterious young sea captain, Royston Moore. She must figure out which one to trust before the gold slips out of her grasp forever. King Midas's daughter, The Hunt for Midas's Gold, is filled with action, romance, suspense, and magic. 
The manuscript is complete at 76,000 words. I also have plans to write a sequel, which will focus on Cora setting out in search of a way to cleanse the objects of the taint that holds her father captive. I graduated in December 2012 with an MFA in creative writing from Butler University. I also studied creative writing at Indiana University as an undergraduate. I have recently had two stories published in the online magazine Curly Red Stories. Thank you for your time and consideration. If you're interested, I would love to send you the completed manuscript. I look forward to hearing from you. Sincerely, Annie Sullivan. All right. Thank you for sharing. So how has your experience been since signing your contract? Especially were there any surprises along the way about the publication process? I think there are always surprises about the publication (laughs) process. I mean, you know, picking a cover and choosing a title, you know, I never knew how much say like Barnes and Noble or Amazon could have and what your cover is going to be or what your title is going to be. And you might fall in love with a a title and the title changes last minute um, because one of them thinks a different one will sell better. But it was just, I mean, it's been an amazing journey overall. But, you know, you do learn very quickly things about like movie rights and audio rights and, you know, even creating like teacher guides for your books. There's so much that goes into it kind of post-writing that most authors don't think about or don't, it's not at the forefront of, you know, what's going on in your mind when you're writing this book. But it is something you start to keep in mind for future books. Like, oh, if I do include this, it might be a good fit for this part of a curriculum or something, you know, to use in the classroom, things like that. So I really think as you go along, you learn more and more and more. And hopefully you have a good agent who can help you with those things in your contract. That might be a bit of a surprise. Like, do we sell the audio and TV rights at the same time? Or, you know, how much royalties do I make? What do royalties even mean? When do they show up? When do they not show up? Like, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a two book deal, which my second and third books were actually kind of bundled together, you're like, do they count royalties separately? Or are they going to be billed as one book? So you don't start making any money until they both earn out their, their advance money. So there is a lot that goes into it that can be very, very confusing. And so I think anything you can do ahead of time to learn about that, figure that sort of stuff out, prepare yourself for that is, is definitely a good step. Whenever you sold A Touch of Gold, did you sell the sequels along with it or was that kind of an option? No, that wasn't even actually talked about at the time. Oh. I didn't sell them until after. It was like a week or two after A Touch of Gold came out that mm. they opted for both a standalone, which was Tiger Queen, my other book, and A Curse of Gold, which is the sequel to A Touch of Gold. But I mean, I did kind of, I would say in the revision process, working with my editor, I would push back on a few changes she wanted saying, well, in the sequel, this is going to become a big element. And so I would like to, you know, keep this or I will change this, but not this, you know, that kind of like back and forth to make sure it was still matching with my vision and where I kind of saw the series going. And thankfully, they were really receptive to that, which I think helped a lot. Mm. All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. It's just kind of classifications that we put writers in sometimes. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser, all the way. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Overwriter, definitely. Do you like to write in the morning or at night? Anytime I can find time. That doesn't really answer your question. Maybe night. I'll go with night. (laughs) When starting a new story, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else? I would say something. I don't know. It's like a, a combination of all of those. I need like a character and a plot. And it's usually pretty generic. It's like, I'm going to have a princess who has X power. Okay, go. Mm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Tea, 100%. I don't like coffee. (laughs) Whenever you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Oh, sound, 100%. Yep. So like music or do you have Oh, yeah. I will actually 
listen to the same song on repeat for hours on end. It's <laughs> odd, I know, but I yeah, I can listen to the same song like for like eight days straight sometimes. And I might change <laughs> it depending on how the music feels with what I'm writing. When it comes to writing the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or get it right kind of person? Get it right. What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Microsoft Word. That's it. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Oh, drafting. I hate revising. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So many people say revising. So every time someone says drafting, I'm like, oh, okay, good. I went on on tour with um, wonderful author Lauren Mancy and... She and I figured out she would cry when she got her revision letters. She was so happy she got to start revision. <laughs> and I would cry when I got my revision letters because I ha- had to start revisions and I was so sad. Yeah. I just want to be like Happy Gilmore where he gets it in on like one shot instead of having to put it in there. And he's like, <laughs> tap it in, tap it in. I don't want to tap it in. I just want a hole in one, one and done. <laughs> do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? The, I Sequential order. I could not hop around. I just... Every little word matters to me. And if it doesn't add up exactly how it is, I can't write what comes after it until it does. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? Might be an ambivert. Like I'm really good around people and like I love being around people. But then I'm also like, okay, afterwards I'm like, all right, I need to just go like relax, be by myself a little bit. Yeah, I think you're an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so weird because most people are like, Annie, you're an extrovert. And I'm like, am I? I mean, I used to be. Maybe I'm just older and tired now. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You already read your query for us. Now we're going to get into that second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or how did you overcome them? Well, as someone with anxiety, had a lot of a lot of qualms and things going on. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, it was, you know, can I even write a book? Is the book any good? And then after that, it's, can I get an agent? Um, is my agent going to be any good? Is my book going to sell? And then once you sell your book, it's like, can I even revise a book? Can I get, you know, any sort of marketing behind my book? Am I going to like my cover? Am I going to like my title? Is anyone going to read my book and like it? Are they all going to hate it? Like, there's so many things that you can worry like about. Full like, package. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. Like anything there's to worry about, I'm going to worry about it. And I'm like, what if they run out of paper? What if the whole forest burns down and there's something to print it with? Like, you know, like anything is on the table of like things that could go wrong. So I definitely think there are, you know, always, always things that you can think about. But, you know, again, try to focus on the good and like, you know, because I would say the goalpost is always moving in some ways, you know, it's like, okay, you got an agent, well, now you have to get a book published, when I got a book published, like, now you have to write a sequel or have a second book, and then you have to make a new time list, and like, you have so many, so many copies, and you have to have a movie deal, like, you know, like, the goalpost is always, always moving, it's never good enough where you are, and so I think it, it really does come down to being happy with what you wrote, and where you are, and just living in that moment of like, wow, this, this is a dream that I've, I've accomplished, you know, because it's, it is really easy to forget that, and look at what other authors have now accomplished because you're now one of them. It's funny you mentioned, uh, will they run out of paper? And now that's kind of (laughs) happening because of all the shipping issues. (laughs) I've seen a couple books be pushed back on the release dates because of that. I'm just like, oh man. One more thing for us to worry about. (laughs) Right. And yeah, with COVID, you're like, are people still going to be, are publishers going to still be buying books? Like, you know, what's, what's happening there? And are they going to be buying new authors? Are they just going to be buying old authors? You just, there's always so many unknowns, you know, are they going to have enough money to make it through? Are they going to retain all of their, your, their editors and, you know, and like so many things to think about in the industry that, that can go wrong, but 
it just takes that one person to kind of open a door for you, like an agent, or if you're self-publishing, you know, to do it that way, to make things go right. So maybe this is a good reminder for all of us to focus on that positive, that that one moment <laughs> of goodness. Now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that you kind of think is interesting or fun or unique? Yeah, I would say, you know, like I talked about with the music, I can listen to the same song just on repeat for hours. And actually, I kind of get used to that in a way of like, I know I'm done writing for the day if I start to hear the music again, because I don't even I just block it out when I start writing, because, you know, I come from a big family with, you know, lots of siblings and dogs and stuff. So like, if you <laughs> want to do your homework, you just go to like block it all out. So I think I need something to block out in order to zone in. And so that's what I do. And so when I hear the music again, is kind of when I come out of it. And then, like I said, I also write very sequentially. And so sometimes I might get eight chapters in and realize it's just not the right character in the right plot, or it's just not the right world as it is. Something might be off and I might just have to trash those eight chapters and start again. And I will not move forward until the beginning is as perfect as I can make it. So it's pretty much like, once I finish that first draft, I'm done. It goes straight to my critique partners. I don't touch it again until I get their feedback. And then usually after that round, I send it right to my agent. So I'm, I'm not a person who sits on things and just, you know, doesn't like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm amazed by people who can like lay things out with like post-it notes and stuff. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> like I generally would say I know because I'm a pantster. I generally know like where we start and where we end. And I have no idea what's going to happen in between. I just know we're going to get there somehow. And it's going to be a fun adventure. There might be pirates or sirens or ghosts. Who knows? That's kind of the fun, I think. And I think if I'm having fun writing it as a panster, like if it's new and exciting for me, it'll be new and exciting for my reader, I hope. And then I see the only other quirk I have is I do love to travel. I've been to every continent. So anytime I can like, you know, take a landscape and of somewhere I've been and make it more real by adding in those kind of details, I think is something that I try to do. And I hide little Easter eggs in my work too, actually. Just different things, different, yeah, different spellings of things, um, things like that, that I keep it fun for, for my family, my friends, and myself, and for readers who kind of maybe get into it a little bit too, get into the weeds and, and start to notice some things as well. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? Yeah, there were some low lows. Um, I would say, you know, once you get rejected by 100 agents, you're kind of like, where do I go from here? But I would say surround yourself with the people who are going to be your cheerleaders. Because there were nights, I kid you not, I would just cry in bed and my mom would come in and I'd be like, I quit. I'm not doing this. I just can't. I can't get six rejections in a day again. And she'd say, you know, like, you're a really good writer. You can do this. Just stick with it. And I think maybe a lot of people don't have supportive family or friends or teachers. But if you can find just even one person who believes in you, maybe it's a friend you meet in the comments section of something. Maybe it's someone from school. It can be your uncle, your your grandma, whoever it is. Find that at least one person who's just going to support you and continue to help you reach your dreams and remind you of what your dreams are when they start to slip, because, you know, when you reach that lowest point, it is really hard to see that there's light above you and that there's a way out. Um, You just need a hand up because you're a little tired from where you've fallen, but it can happen. And I was there. So many authors get there. Even after you're published, you can still end up there. Mm -hmm. So just remember to be kind to yourself, surround yourself with the people who will keep you going. 
prepare yourself as best as you can now to have a tough skin because you will get rejection after rejection. And most of them will be form rejections that just say, thank you for submitting, you know, but unfortunately, this is just not for me. And they won't tell you why. And you'll never know why. And it could be a thousand different reasons that you can worry about if you want, but it won't do any good. Find your people. Mm -hmm. Maybe you go to a writer's conference, meet people that way, find critique partners, but the people who understand it, you know, who understand that this is your goal and how you go about achieving it so that you're not just having someone say, well, oh, just give up or, you know, just don't worry about getting it published or just put it on the internet as is for free or something, you know, like if that's what you do want to do, great. But if you want to get out to a wider audience and be traditionally published, try for it, you know? But if you want to have more control and do, you know, self-publishing, do that, but do what makes you happy and find the people who will support you along the way. I just listened to, so this episode isn't going to come out until later. So if you're looking for this, it's from like mid-August episode of the Happiness, Happiness Lab podcast that is about dealing with and healing from the pain of rejection. And they're talking about professional rejection as well as like personal romantic rejection. And it was really interesting. And I wish I could make like every writer in the world listen to it. But one of the things that stuck out to me from it was they were doing these tests and they were comparing the brain scans of people who were recalling the pain of rejection and people who were physically in pain. And the scans were identical. They couldn't tell the difference between them. And that just really stuck out to me. And I was like, that's, that's why it hurts so much. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it is, it's a, it was a very painful, dark time in my life. I won't lie guys. You know, it's like, you feel like someone else has control of your dream and they just squash it over and over again. And you're constantly being told you're not good enough. This thing you wrote and you put your heart and soul into is not good enough. And you don't know if it's ever going to be good enough. And I think that's terrifying and it does, it hurts to be rejected like that. But I mean, just well, look at all the people who are published out there. It can happen. You just have to push through the dark night that you find yourself in. You mentioned some of them earlier, but what were some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that you would like to warn listeners about so maybe they don't make the same ones? Yeah, no, definitely uh, do your research into agents and what they want. You know, make sure are they accepting submissions currently? Um, what do they want? Make sure you know what goes into a query letter, you know, know, how to set it up, how it should read, have someone who's never read your book, read your query letter so they can come at it with the same kind of fresh eyes that an agent might, you know, there's all these little tips and tricks that you can get into once you're kind of, you know, done your first like query trenches kind of day or month, year, however long it takes, right? Making sure you follow submission guidelines. It's definitely a big one. (laughs) Don't just finish your draft and then, you know, be like, all right, I'm looking for an agent. Again, get good critique partners, people you trust, people whose writing you like. Because if you don't think they're a good writer, you don't want them critiquing your work either. So, you know, maybe trade first chapters and see if you like each other's work and then decide to be critique partners. Like don't jump into anything too soon. And the same even goes once you have an agent. I won't lie. I probably pushed my agent a little too hard to query my other book that didn't sell because I was like, I really want to get this out there. I want to, I want to get published. You know, I had this dream of like being published before I was 30. And so I'd also say like, don't put time limits on yourself. Every, you know, flower kind of blooms in its own season at its own time at its own pace. And if you're trying to compete with flower next to you, it might not be the right season for you. Right. You know, so definitely just stay true to yourself. And that goes for your writing too. Uh, You know, don't let someone push you to change something that you don't 
like or you don't want to do with your work, um, if it feels very awful inside, it's not going to be fun to write. So, you know, find people who you agree with on that kind of front too. So yeah, I guess it's all just about staying true to yourself and doing your research about who you're submitting to, what you're going to submit them. Because also anyone can claim to be an agent. And thankfully, I didn't have any sort of run-ins with this, but just always check up on people and make sure they are who they say they are, that they are out there selling things, and that they can get you where you want to go in your career because no agent is better than a bad agent. A bad agent is just going to zap your time and your energy and your talent and take you nowhere except backward. Mm -hmm. You've shared several, but I'm going to ask the question anyway in case you have more to add. (laughs) Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication, whether it's about the business aspect or the writing aspect or, you know, the motivation aspect, whatever it is. Yeah. I would say first and foremost, number one, just don't give up. I mean, if this is truly your goal, treat it like a job, show up every day, create that spreadsheet of agents or, you know, who you're targeting and so that you know who you're going after and why you're going after it. Maybe even schedule yourself little emails to send in the future if you can to kind of pick yourself up, you know, just, Hey, Remember, you're a great writer. Have a good day from your past self. You know, just something as simple as that can be a reminder of this is why I'm doing it. Or if you're doing it for your kids, you know, post up that little picture of them right above your computer so you know, like, this is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm writing. Um, Or post up a picture of a book you hate and you're like, my book is going to be better (laughs) than this one. And I'm not staring at that cover anymore. I want to find a new cover and it's going to be my book and I'm going to put it up there someday. Like, find whatever it is that motivates you. And do it, you know, and like I said, treat it like a job. So find the time to write. I kind of have a goal of where I write a minimum of 500 words a day. And sometimes that's super easy. I breeze past, you know, 3000 that day. But some days those 500 are like pulling teeth. And it just depends on where I am in the story. So, yeah, maybe there's something in your story that's not going well. But again, I guess my advice there would be go back. Because I found when I reach a dead end or, you know, get writer's block, it's not that moment where things have gone wrong, it's probably two or three chapters earlier where I sent things into motion that have pushed me to this point that I need to go back and change. So just be aware of your work and how you want it to flow and, you know, be open to critiques, but again, know what what you want in your work because people are going to tell you all sorts of things. And there's kind of a rule that I've heard once upon a time, and I think it's a fairly good rule, not always, but sometimes, but if like someone tells you how to fix something, You don't necessarily have to listen, but if someone tells you something's wrong with your story, you should listen. You know, if they're saying, well, I just don't understand why they would do this, listen to that. But if they say, I don't understand why they would do this, they need to do this instead, that's when you can kind of take a step back because that's them inserting themselves into your work. So really just, you know, have that critical eye, be open to feedback, but also know the heart of your story and where you want it to go. Yeah, I remember, I think one of the most valuable things for me when I was kind of learning the craft of writing is I joined this writer's group and it wasn't necessarily the critiques of my work that I learned the most from, but it was the critiques of other people's work. And then I got to learn whose opinion that I valued Mm -hmm. because I'm like, they know what they're talking about. And then I took their critiques of my work more seriously because of that which is something that's harder to do when it's like a one-on-one critique partner situation. Yeah. So I found that very valuable. Yeah. I mean, if you go out and you read the reviews of any book, pick any book you love, go to Amazon, read the reviews. There are going to be one-star reviews that hate things that you love. So you're never going to please any everybody. So you have to just find the people who, who get you, who get your work, but who also have the drive to push you. 
you know, because you don't want someone who's so, so nice that they're only going to say, oh, this was lovely. It was a great book. <laughs> That's not helpful. I mean, it's it's nice to hear, but it's not going to help your writing. So you definitely need those people in your life. And I mean, I know they always say like, don't have your family be your readers, but I won't lie. My sister is always my first reader because she catches all my embarrassing mistakes of like using homonyms <laughs> for words that I like shouldn't use the still, but I do. Or when I've spelled barely as barley, you know, things like that. <laughs> so it sometimes can be worth it to have those people there too. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. Who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how? First and foremost, my family, like they were very supportive. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, my mom and like my, my sister does read my work and my family has always been there to help me. And I think that's been a huge, huge bonus because if, if someone's holding you back, that kind of definitely hinders your dreams and, and makes you not want to go after it. So definitely my family, you know, my professors, everyone from my early teachers. In fact, my uh, my book, Tiger Queen, is dedicated to my English teacher from middle school because she helped inspire the story. Um, and so I don't think anyone goes through it without different teachers, mentors, mentors at Indiana University and Butler. I had some amazing professors at Butler who helped a lot. My agent, Krista Heschke at McIntosh and Otis has been great and her assistant, Danielle. So yeah, I mean, I think, and even just your editors, like every editor for my book has been great. And it takes an entire team of people to put this together from you know, publicity teams, marketing teams, editorial assistants, people who proofread the books, who do the covers. None of this is done by yourself. And then there's also authors who help, you know, you have to get blurbs for your book many times. Or like, I'm lucky enough to live in Indianapolis where John Green lives. And so I've been able to, you know, meet up with him a couple of times and talk writing and things. And so he's been a very good resource as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think I could go on and on and just list an endless, you know, number of people and names. I mean, I could thank Facebook and Instagram for creating those platforms where I get to interact with fans because I love talking with fans. I love posting pictures of the cool book events I go to because I'm actually a total fangirl in real life. And like when I end up in the green room with like Holly Black, I'm like giggling in the corner like a schoolgirl because I'm like, <laughs> Holly Black's here. Why am I here? Um, and I look like, you know, like a loser in the corner, but it's fine, you know, because I have fun and I show that to my to my fans. So it is what it is. And you just got to be yourself in this industry and you'll find your people, I hope, because we're a lot of, well, I'm sure there's some normal ones. I consider myself a weirdo. So if you're a weirdo out there, it's, it's cool. We're just extra unique. <laughs> Before you go, Annie, can you tell us about your latest release? Yeah. So I think the latest one is probably A Curse of Gold, which um, is the sequel to A Touch of Gold. And you can follow Princess Cora as she sets out to break the curse that's still over her and her kingdom. And uh, she might just have to go up against the trickiest god the world or the underworld has ever known if she wants to succeed. And it's just a lot of fun. I call my books like Disney movies on steroids. So if that's kind of your jam, then then go for it, have fun. And if not, I have Tiger Queen about a warrior princess who fights suitors in an arena to win her right to rule. So if you want a girl who was basically born with a sword in her hand, go for that one. But yeah, I'm hoping to have something out here soon. And actually, A Touch of Gold did just sell the movie right. So hopefully we will see something on that soon coming up. Very cool. Thank you, Annie, so much for coming on and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. And I hope everyone stays inspired and finds the kind of light and the spark inside of them to keep writing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. 
You can find the text of Annie's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, tell your friends, or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.